0: Is this all? Turn the hymn books to 180, everyone. Welcome to Bible Baptist Church. Excited to everybody today. 180. When the roll is called yonder. Sing nice and loud. We're going to be a cappella today. This is a good test for everybody to see uh, if you're all good singers. No, I'm just kidding. None of that matters here. Just sing as loud and I'll be just as happy. Stand li- stand up, please. We'll sing loud and proud of our Lord Savior. All right, 180. All right. When
1: the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the Saved shall gather over on the other shore and the roll is call up yonder, I'll be there. Share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When from the dawn till setting sun, let us talk of all his wondrous love and care.
2: Then when
1: all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the role is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the
0: Pray for us, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for this day. We to, to be in your house, Lord, to hear your word and to sing your song, Lord. Mm. We ask you to bless the music today. We ask you to bless the pastor and his message that we may get the fullness out of it, Lord. We ask all these things. Amen. Amen. All right, please stay standing and turn your hymn books to 94. I believe I started that way too high. Sorry about that.
2: Right. You sure did? <laughs> Even I was grasping for those high notes.
0: Oopsie. All right, little as much when God is in it. Amen. So true. 94. yeah, 94. 94. In the harvest field now
1: ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark! The voice of God is calling. To the harvest, calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. Does the play? Call to labor seems so small and little known. It is great if God is in it, and shall not forget his own. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crowd. You'll go in Jesus' name. Are you laid aside from service, body worn from toil and care? You can still be in the battle, in the sacred place of prayer. Let us. Go in Jesus' name. When the conflict here is ended and our race on earth is run, He will say, If we are faithful, welcome home, my child. y'all go in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you for your singing, everyone. You can be seated. All right, we'll have Pastor come up and sing announcements. Me. Sorry,
2: not I'm singing announcements today, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. All right, well, it is good to be here today. It's good to see everyone. Be in the Lord's house and be with, uh, be with our church family. Uh, prayerfully, you've all had a good week. Uh, we have... Probably many of you, maybe most of you know, yesterday, several folks got to go over and help Troy and Jeannie at their house and get all their trusses on their, on their house. So that was a huge accomplishment. Of course, gets them uh, well on their way to getting the house to the point they can actually move in. So uh, that's exciting. Well, that's a blessing. <laughs> uh, so much was accomplished. So thank you to everybody who came yesterday. Yes, that was you. a blessing. And you know we enjoyed the fellowship and the time to work together um this this week so tomorrow night is ladies meeting right yeah. yeah tomorrow night at 6 p.m so if you're a lady and you can come i'd encourage you to come along and be here uh, it should be a blessing the last saturday of the month the 30th i believe it is is men's prayer breakfast seven thirty a.m and then uh this week starting wednesday night is family camp so I wanted to make sure I mentioned that again so you know Wednesday night we won't have services here. Um, we're moving our midweek services out to South Liberty under the tent. Um, so we'll have that this year. So um, I don't think I have any other pressing announcements. Um, so uh, pray for Brother Elliot. Um, his dad just was moved into hospice, so he headed down to uh, the Cape. So. Um, pray for him pray for his dad his dad's you know never trusted Christ as far as he knows so I know that's heavy on his heart um, so just pray God will open the door provide an opportunity and that his dad would trust Christ as a savior and of course also pray for Andy and Don uh, brother Andy's dad passed away last week so um, keep them in your prayers also and their family so um, just wanted to mention those couple of things as well um, but we've got a good day here to be in the Lord's house and prayerfully the Lord's going to work and meet with us this morning. If I can have our ushers come on down. And if you're wondering about the campers outside, if you don't already know, uh, the Thren family, while they are not here at our church to do services with us, they're staying here at our church because where they are doing services is like 20, 15, 20 minutes away from here in Winslow. So, um, uh, they are borrowing the Elliott's camper, and they have one of their own until they get their a new bus or RV or something to replace the bus that, that burned. Um, so that's why the campers are here and uh, why there were some extra little ones running around this morning before Sunday school. Uh, but uh, So anyways, it's a blessing. We can be a blessing to them. They are one of our missionary families we support, and uh, while they're here, they have you know, they are able to do their homeschooling in the fellowship hall and use the shower and, and have a couple extra bathrooms other than just having one in a camper. So, uh, you know, it is a, a blessing to them. So, uh, anyways, it is good. All right. Caleb, can you pray for the offering, bud? Yes, sir. All right. No, uh, thank you for the
0: today, Lord. Please bless the Lord. Please bless the offering, Lord. Please help, um, us all have a home after the, services, Lord, please, um, Bless the service that the pastor has prepared for us, Lord. Please touch our hearts with the message, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. everybody. Please stand with me one last time. Turn your hymn books to 87. 87. More about Jesus. Amen. That's what we need right now. More about Jesus. Amen. Every day it's all we need. More about him. you got to stop being about us. Be more about him. Stand with me if you can. We'll sing as loud as we can. More about Jesus. Amen.
1: More about Jesus would I know. More of His grace to others show. More of His saving fullness see. More of His love who died for me. More, more about Jesus. Let me learn More of his holy will discern Spirit of God my teacher be Showing the things of Christ to me More, more about Jesus More, more about Jesus Jesus in his word, holding communion with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine, more, more about Jesus, more. fulness see more of his love who died for me more about jesus on his throne riches in glory all his own more of his kingdom sure increase. more of his coming prince of peace more Jesus More, more about Jesus More of his saving fullness
0: see More of his love who died for me Amen Thank you guys for saying you may be seated More about Jesus We'll have the pastor come up and preach to us
2: Well, as I said, it is good to be here. It's good to be with all of you. I have the privilege to get into the Word of God—it's always a blessing.
0: Amen.
2: I—I uh, I did want to share. I don't think I did. Well, last week I mentioned that I was presented an oppor- opportunity and praying for God's direction and that I didn't have a lot of time to decide if I was going to go to Israel next year or not, but uh, I did decide to go. So next February, we'll be headed to February. I decided to go, and honestly, I've been regretting it ever since, but no, (laughs) I'm not really. (laughs) It is the struggle of being away from my family for two weeks. That's what makes me go, I'm really going to do this? Maybe I should change my mind? You know, just uh, we don't... uh, we don't do things apart very often. We pretty much, I mean, Erica and I, we've got it to the point now where we even have our business together. So we work together all the time. We are together all the time for the most part. And we love that. So we're not, I'm not complaining. Uh, I, we love all of that we're very thankful for it. So when reality hit that, I'd be two weeks gone to a different part of the world with uh, a seven-hour time difference and uh, you know so at first I was thinking well I can just call or text her anytime during the day or she can call or text me and then I realized well anytime might be at 8 o'clock in the morning and she'll be in bed sleeping because it'll be 1 o'clock over here in the middle of the night so then I thought oh wow that means I won't be able to call or text her anytime so anyways uh, you know just uh, all those realities potentially missing Caleb's final basketball games, you know, because it's a senior year and it's right during the end of the sports season. So all those things kind of set in and it was kind of sad, but the reality is it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm going to get to go and learn things that, uh, you know, could I learn them here? Yes, but not to the same degree that I'll be able to learn actually being there and seeing you know, where David fought Goliath, seeing where Christ was crucified, and, uh, you know, walking in some of those places, seeing some of those things, it's going to be pretty incredible, and I'm excited about what I'm going to learn, and that's how I'm looking at it, as this is an, it's not a vacation, this is an educational trip, where I'm going to go and learn, and grow, and prayerfully increase in my understanding of the Word of God, and and, uh, and that will benefit me, but ultimately that will benefit our church, and my family. And you know, Elijah's called to preach. I'll have things that insights that I'll learn that will prayerfully be a help, even in training him and helping get him ready for the time when he's a pastor. So, anyways, I'm focusing on those things <laughs> and trying not to think on the other stuff. And uh, but, pray pray for us with that. Um, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be good, but it'll also be a challenge. So, all right, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, 22 through 32, if you haven't already figured that out. Um, we have been in this passage several weeks. We've talked about the home. We've talked about uh, all the wives. We've talked about husbands. We've talked about the home. We jumped into chapter six a little bit, and we talked about children, and we talked about fathers. So, we've we've kind of studied everything that, for now... God has put on my heart to talk about in those regards, but there is something from this passage we haven't really talked about much. We did talk about when we first began loving your church because Christ loved the church, so we talked about that, but there's an additional component to this passage that I want to talk about, and uh, there's some debate in regards to it. Uh, I have some friends that don't really can and don't agree with where I'm at and I would say I don't agree with where they're at on this so uh, if you don't agree with where I'm at that's fine we can still be friends and you know everything's fine nothing to fight over Um, but um, I think probably most if not everybody will will be on the same place on the same plane Um, so let's go ahead and stand together Uh, I guess I'll just tell you um, we're going to talk about the church as the bride of Christ. And uh, I have some friends that don't believe the church is the bride of Christ. Um, They believe it's the body of Christ, which I don't disagree with. I do believe it is the body of Christ, but I also believe it is the bride of Christ. Um, They believe Israel is the bride, which I see why they believe Israel is the bride. It does talk about them being a bride. but. Personally, I don't have an issue with both being a bride, if that's what it has to be to work out. Um, Anyways, I I think Israel can be the bride of God. The church is the bride of Christ, and I think that we get that bore out clearly in the scriptures. But we're not going to get into Israel today. We are focusing on this passage. We're focusing on the New Testament doctrine of the church as the bride of Christ. So we'll begin reading in verse 22. We'll read down through 32, we'll pray, be seated, and then we'll get into the message. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we can find, that we can discover, that we can learn from your word. Thank you for what you have for us today, Lord. And I just pray as we study this this passage of Scripture, as we consider this doctrine, this truth, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray you'd challenge us. I pray that you'd help us to grow and to mature and to understand what it is that you want us to learn today, Lord. We just pray that you'd meet with us and that in everything you would be honored and pleased and glorified. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I kind of already did my introduction before I actually started the message here, so uh, we won't need to go over all that again. But if we get into our text here, I know I already told you where we're going with this. And here's one of the things that is key to understanding this passage, I believe, is that last verse we read, verse 32... This is a great mystery so the Lord gives us all this instruction on husbands and wives and he draws a correlation between husbands and wives and Christ and the church like there's there's clearly a line a connection being drawn between those two and just in case we don't get that through what we read up to verse 32 he puts verse 32 there This is a great mystery, just so we know. This is a mystery, a great mystery. But, in case we didn't get it, I speak concerning Christ and the church. In case we missed that point, this not only deals with the wife and the husband, but it also is speaking about Christ and the church. So to say that it's not, the whole book of Ephesians is about the church. The whole book of Ephesians is about uh, our relationship, the relationship that believers have with Christ, but also there's a lot of church doctrine, and it deals with much of the church. So to say this isn't about the church, I mean, we have to deny what the Word of God is saying, frankly. All right, so verse 23. We're going to go through these kind of co- somewhat quickly, and, and we'll look at some other scripture, and then we'll we'll look at a couple other things. Verse 23 says, We already read verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. We get that. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Well, who's the body? Right. uh, No, the church is the body of Christ. So you're on the right track. Um, So if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter... 12 up here. Oh, i got to turn this on. There you go. 1 Corinthians 12. Verse number 12 says this: For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And then verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Who's that written to? The church at Corinth. So it's it's written to a local New Testament church. All right, Colossians. Just over a couple of books. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. I should have told you before, don't lose your place in Ephesians, but if you did, it's just over a couple books here. But in Colossians 1 and verse number 24, it says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. So, a couple passages there. Ephesians, we've seen it already in, in past uh, studies earlier on at the end of chapter 1 and some in chapter 2 that the church is the body of Christ. There's no denying that. The Word of God clearly spells that out for us, and we will touch on that a little bit more here as we go. But verse 23, back in our Ephesians 5 passage, to remind us, it says, husband is the, uh, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, And he is the savior of the body. So the body is the church. Christ is the head of the body. It makes sense. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. Uh, we're, We're getting this, hopefully. All right, verse number 24. This one says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So again, explains the church is subject to Christ, just like the wife to the husband. Verse number 25, whoops, I jumped ahead here. Verse number 25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So we see that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. We've talked about this several weeks ago. The church is only able to be the body of Christ because of the sacrifice Christ made when he gave himself for his body. Okay, so he sacrificed himself for the body. Without that sacrifice, there is no church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Uh, So the purpose for a sacrifice that you and I, could be clean that the church can be clean um, so Christ wants the church to be pure he wants it to be clean he wants it to be holy well how is that accomplished he says by the washing of water by the word so John chapter fifteen three says now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you um, we know Christ is the living word and we know we also have the written, preserved word. Over in uh, Psalm 119, I forget the exact reference, I want to say 12, but I could be wrong. It says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by, hate, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. So we know that obedience to the word of God produces purity, produces A cleanliness, spiritual cleanliness. All right, verse 27. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We see further uh, reference to this cleanliness. And that he is presenting this church back to himself one day. Future. We don't have time to get into all that, so we'll keep going here. Verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So this tells us that the husband is to treat his wife, that he is to love her just like he loves his own body. This is going somewhere in relation to what we're talking about with the church is the body of Christ. No denying that. We see that over and over again in Scripture. Here's where I think the rub is. The Bible never actually states that the church is the bride of Christ. That phrase is not in our Bibles. So I think that's where the breakdown is sometimes. But you know what else is never in our Bibles? The word rapture. It's not in our Bibles. And yet it talks about us being caught up together with him in the clouds. Nope. I shouldn't say nobody. I know at least one pastor that denies there's a rapture, but he did, he's off his rocker on all kinds of stuff. so that's how <laughs> he got there. Uh, but <laughs> anyways, so um, you know the rapture is not something that is commonly debated or argued against, even though the word rapture is not in our Bibles. The Bride of Christ, I had honestly not heard it being talked about. As not a thing until the last few years but so I honestly I kind of I really respect these guys I love these guys how are they coming to this conclusion and it's been a couple years since I really looked at the Old Testament piece about Israel and I thought I see that but I just can't I can't deny this whole connection of the church and the Bride of Christ for me personally if you can get there It's fine. I'm not even mad at you. You know, I'm not even angry about it. Uh, But I just, I've studied it to the point I just can't come to that conclusion. So, anyways, where were we? Verse number 27, we read. Uh, Verse 28, we read. Verse 29 expounds on that a little further. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Verse 30 says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So that sounds pretty similar to what we've already talked about, the church as the body. Verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So here's where I'm headed with this and where I end up with this. Someone recently said, well, the church isn't the bride, it's the body. How can Christ marry his own body? When I, th- when I hear that statement, I think, really? Do we really have to explain that? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. She, they shall be join- he shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So I read that to say if they're one flesh, they're one body. They are one. So, in my mind, and we're going to look at this a little more, the Bible frequently talks about husband and wife being one body. So, how can he be married to his body? The same way I am. The same way if you're married. You are. I mean, and that's the picture that's being painted for us here in Ephesians chapter 5. At least, that's what I'm reading. That's what I get from it, is I just... It makes perfect sense to me, and maybe I'm just too much of a simpleton. I don't know, but verse 32, once again, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. All right, we just read this verse a moment ago. Actually, I, I got to look at something here with you. All right, we already looked at that one. All right, so we're going to look at this other verse here. We just read... For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 2. This sounds very familiar to me. Genesis chapter 2. You probably know the name of the very first man that God ever created. His name was Adam. We'll see this in a few moments. You know the Bible refers to someone else as the last Adam? The person in the Bible refers to as the last Adam is Jesus Christ. So there's a first Adam, the one in Genesis, and there's a last Adam, Jesus Christ. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. This is the first Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. It's pretty amazing, I think. Adam said because Eve was created out of his rib, out of his own body, he says we are now bone of, she is now, how did he say it here, sorry, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Well, if you're saved, if you've been born again, Christ's body was broken and bruised his blood was shed you know how you became a Christian through the blood of Jesus Christ she is called woman because she is taken out of the man we are called Christian because we were made through the sacrifice of Christ we are born again because of the sacrifice of Christ Uh, when God took Adam's rib and made Eve a new creature was created when we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we were born again, a new creature was created. I mean, to me, there are so many similarities, so many connections that I don't think we have to bend the scriptures to get there. I just really don't. I think it's, I think it's pretty clear. Romans chapter 5. If we jump over here to Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at this uh, verse. that speaks of Adam in the New Testament, and it compares the Old Testament, Adam, and the last Adam, Christ. Um, We could read a lot of Romans 5 and see this all through this passage, um, but we're not going to today. We're just going to look at this, a couple of verses here. Verse number 14 says, Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, (coughs) even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So, in case we thought it was a stretch to say the woman coming out of Adam is a stretch to say the church coming out of Christ, well, Romans chapter 5, verse 14 tells us that Adam was a figure of him that was to come. The him that was to come is Christ. So he's saying Adam is a picture of Christ. So the Bible is telling us this connection, to say this is a picture, is acceptable because the Bible does the very same thing. Verse 17 and 18 of the same text. says, For if by one man's offense, that's Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ, therefore as by the offense of one, that's Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So the offense that brings judgment came upon all men because of the uh, because of Adam's sin. In the same fashion the righteousness of one Jesus Christ is the only person ever to live on this earth and live a perfectly righteous life because of him and his sacrifice the free gift which is salvation came upon all men under justification of life now just understand I didn't put it in my notes apparently but I do wanna show you one more quick thing out of this because that says that this free gift came upon all men. So I just don't want to leave anybody confused to think that all men are justified. Uh, Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. It doesn't say that all are made righteous. It says many are made righteous. So I just wanted to point that little tidbit out. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So we see there's a connection there. Here's another one. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, that's speaking of Christ, was made a quickening spirit. We talked about that when we were in Ephesians chapter number 2. That the last Adam, Jesus Christ, uh, it says in in Ephesians 2, 1, Ye who were dead in your trespasses and sins hath he quickened together with Christ. Uh, so we are saved, we have been quickened, we were spiritually dead, we've been made spiritually alive through our faith in Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. So we already read verse 32 uh, where it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. So if there was any question, we've, we've already kind of hit on that, that's covered. I told you what is debated already. I got—I told you I got ahead of myself here, which makes me feel better because I can knock off a couple of pages of my notes. Uh, we already talked about that. All right, so how did Christ, well, how did Adam get his bride? Out of his side, right? Christ took a rib through. He opened up his flesh, removed the rib, and then it said he closed his flesh. Interestingly, I... I I can't say I would die on this hill, but I've heard it said a couple of times that some believe that's why Christ's side was pierced and the blood and water flowed out of his side. Some have said that they believe that that is the picture, the bride coming out of his side. Now, again, I can't say I would die on that hill. I haven't studied that specific piece out enough, but there's an interesting correlation there. You know, I, I can't say that it's impossible or that I would deny it wholly, either. So, uh, interesting stuff. All right, turn with me over to Second Corinthians 11. We'll turn over to this one, 2 Corinthians 11. <laughs> oh, you like that one? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we'll get there. We're getting there. <laughs> All right, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul, God used the Apostle Paul to pen this book. He also used the Apostle Paul greatly when it came to the church at Corinth. And through, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he penned this book, this letter, to the church at Corinth. And here in this verse, uh, 2 Corinthians eleven two, 2, he says, for i am jealous over you with a with godly jealousy for i have espoused you to one husband he's speaking to the church church so a spouse is kind of like engagement but it's stronger it's more of a contract when someone is espoused it's not like i give you a ring and we've given each other our word and you know if it doesn't happen just give me the ring back and we're all good you know i mean obviously not all good there's hurt feelings and broken hearts and all that stuff but you know it's not like that when when they were espoused in Bible times it was a public thing it was a contractual thing and if that was going to split you remember when Joseph was espoused to Mary and he thought that she had committed adultery uh, he was going to write her a bill of divorcement in order to end it but he was going to put her away privately because she would have been stoned and they were just engaged they were espoused so we see that it's a lot more significant to be a spouse to someone than it is to to be our modern-day engaged. So, the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, "...for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ." Okay, so if we are espoused to Christ, then in the future, when he presents the church to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, What do we think that future thing is going to be? A bride. bride. Exactly. We are going to be the bride of Christ. So uh, that verse, I agree, is about as clearly stating that truth as possible. And for me, to say that the church is not the bride of Christ, I feel like I would have to cut that verse out of the Bible. I also feel like I'd have to cut out... Uh, Ephesians 5.32 where it says this is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So if you have a way that you explain it and you come to the conclusion that Israel's the bride and the church is not I'd love to hear it. Probably not today but at some point. I'm just too tired today to be honest. Uh, And I'm going to be too busy today but I would love to hear it because I'd love to see how those verses could be taken out. I really don't think I don't believe, honestly, that they can. All right. All right, so this is from Paul of the Church at Corinth. We already talked about that. One day we're going to be married to Christ. You know what's so amazing? Is there's more to this principle than just what we get out of the Old Testament. There's more to this truth than just... Did I say Old Testament? Than what we get out of the New Testament. There we go. There is connections to, in the Old Testament, prophetic truths that lead us to the same conclusion. I should say that lead me to the same conclusion. Maybe it'll lead you there too. So you ever hear the phrase virtuous woman? Probably most will nod their head yes. Proverbs chapter 31, familiar passage. Often it's used on Mother's Day. It's often used at ladies' meeting to study of what a godly woman should look like. We talked about this once, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago during our afternoon study, uh, studying the Bible, uh, when we talked about the key of comparison. So there's an interesting thing. Proverbs 31 talks about the virtuous woman. Do you know how many women in the Bible are named by name? There's 188. I didn't expect anybody to know that. So just so you know, there are 188 women mentioned by name in the Bible? Do you know how many of them? Don't answer. Do you know how many of them are called a virtuous woman? One. Yes, you're right. One. Yeah, one. So, I don't know, maybe next week, maybe some other time, maybe never. We'll see. Uh, We'll talk about the virtuous woman in a different light than probably most people have heard it before. But this one woman that is referred to as a virtuous woman. Now just to be clear, there are other women in the Bible that no doubt were virtuous women. So I'm not trying to take away from that. I'm not saying that there aren't other women who are who are virtuous women. But I believe there's a reason why this one woman is called virtuous. Uh, this woman is Ruth, if you didn't already know that. So turn with me to Ruth Chapter three, and verse number 11. Ruth, if my memory serves me correctly, is right after Joshua. No, after Judges, sorry, after Judges. Judges is after Joshua. I did know that, but in my head I flip-flopped them. Maybe my dyslexia is coming out today, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. So, Ruth chapter 3, verse number 11, there you go. We're not going to do a verse-by-verse study through the book of Ruth this morning. We don't have time to do all that, but I do want to give us a picture of what takes place in this book that I think is pretty amazing. All right, Ruth chapter 3, verse number 11 says, And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Now, the person who just spoke that to Ruth was Boaz, and Boaz was a a special guy, but we've got to talk, uh, so Boaz, all right, quick quick history because I understand not everybody may know. So Ruth, no, let me back up. Naomi and her husband and her two sons take off and leave Israel, Bethlehem specifically, and head to Moab because there's a famine in the land. Because... uh. There's no food. There's it says in verse one of the book. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Well, they found a couple of wives for the two sons, Orpah and Ruth. I'm getting ahead here. Am I getting ahead? So they marry these two ladies, I'm not getting ahead. They marry these two ladies, and interestingly, those two sons die. So now Orpah and Ruth are both widows. Uh, Oh, and the dad dies too. So Naomi's also a widow. So Naomi here, a little ways down, tells her two daughters-in-laws that I'm going to head back to Israel. Things have gotten better there. Uh, So I'm going to head back and and, uh, you two stay here in the land with your family. I don't have any more sons for you. You know, kind of that kind of a deal. I'm going to leave you there and we're going to get to this in a moment. So interestingly, Ruth is not an Israelite. She would be a Gentile. So Not only is she a Gentile, but she's a Gentile from a cursed race. The Moabites were cursed. Uh, In Deuteronomy 23.3, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their 10th generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. So they were, Ruth was a Gentile from a cursed, uh, cursed race. Now, she finds herself living during a famine. In the midst of this famine, she receives good news from a far land. Naomi comes to her and says, Ruth, Orpa, things have gotten better back home. I'm going to head back. You ladies stay here because I don't have anything for you. Uh, you know, go back to your families. I suspect she's thinking you have a much better chance of finding a husband here with your people and so on and so forth. You get the idea. So the word is that the Lord had visited his people in Bethlehem and had given them bread. So in Ruth 1, verses 14 through 17, if we read these few verses, it says, And they left. Uh, no, and they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. So she just told them that she's leaving and for them to stay behind. She gives them that whole kind of spiel I just told you. Verse 15, And she said, Behold thy sister-in-law. She's now speaking to Ruth, who clave unto her, it just said. And she said, Behold, thy sister in law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister in law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught be death part thee and me. She grabbed right a hold of her mother-in-law Ruth and said, I'm going with you. I'll go into this foreign country. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. The Lord do to me and more if anything separates us but death. That was her heart. That was her testimony. So when Ruth got there in Bethlehem of Judea uh, with her mother-in-law, she just happened to go to work in a harvest field of all places for a man who just happened to be her Jewish kinsman redeemer. So there was a, a law in Israel that if a woman was married and her uh, and her husband passed away, they had an order of who was to marry her. Uh, It would be a brother, uh, and then from there it would move on to other relatives, and basically they called it the kinsman redeemer, because the ladies didn't own land, they didn't own businesses, they relied on their husband for so much. Also, it was a a huge deal as to whether or not they could bear a son and continue the family heritage and so on and so forth. So, so this man would be that would marry her would be called the kinsman redeemer. That's what they called it. Kinsman means a, a relative redeemer. We get that. So when he sees her, Boaz is her kinsman redeemer. When Boaz sees her, he falls in love with her. He then takes her out of his harvest field, makes her his bride, takes her to his home, and they live happily ever after. It's really a nice story. Maybe we'll cover Ruth at some point. I don't know. So obviously, that's a really beautiful story. Uh, Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've thought through that before. So for just a moment, we're going to think About this, and how does this possibly relate to us? You and I, most of us, are all Gentiles from a cursed race. It's called the human race. Every one of us are part of that. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. We're all part of the human race. We also found ourselves living in the midst of a famine called sin, and all of our souls are in bondage to sin or were at least. One day we heard about good news from a far land that the Lord had visited his people in Bethlehem giving them bread interestingly John 6 35 up on the screen says whoops nope up on the screen says and Jesus said unto them I am the bread of life He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Verse 51 of the same passage says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Can we see any relations there to what we read back in Ephesians chapter 5 about him giving himself for the bride? Uh, for, his, for the church, rather, sorry, about him being the savior of the body. <clears throat> Alright, so when we heard this good news, we left our father and mother and, we, uh, and all we held dear to partake of the bread of life. Now let me say this quickly because I don't want to give the wrong impression. When we say left father and mother, it's not that we turn our back on them and we can never have a relationship with them or we never, uh, you know, fellowship with them or that we reject them. Clearly the Bible says a lot about honoring father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? What I believe that's saying is that regardless of what you've learned from your parents your whole life, Regardless of what they've taught you, of what religion they've educated you in, of what belief system, regardless of everyone who's ever influenced you and everything they've ever taught you or explained to you, when we get saved, all that stuff gets left in the rearview mirror. And it's us and Christ and we're placing our faith in him and him alone for me not because mom told me I should do this, not because dad told me I should do this, but because I believe for me. When, it, when I say left father and mother and, and everything dear, that's what I'm saying is that regardless, now don't, don't, don't get me wrong, certainly people uh, most likely when we got saved, someone stood behind a pulpit and preached the gospel to us. Someone gave us a gospel tract. Someone sat us down with a Bible and showed us how to be saved. Surely someone influenced us with those things. But there comes a point where in our heart of hearts, we believe. doesn't matter what anyone else says. doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's me and God, and I believe, and I want to be saved. That's what happened the day I got saved. I was with friends playing in a youth basketball tournament. Uh, for Christians and it was a it was a gospel outreach ministry and there was an evangelist there that preached the gospel and I remember that day sitting there with these kids some of them frankly were punks I mean some of the kids on our team were in a in a school that was for troubled kids But you know what? They were good basketball players. Some of them were from Boston some of them were from New York City and here I am just this country bumpkin from China, Maine uh, that uh, would have been better as a football player probably than a basketball player. But here I was out there with these guys playing and I'm sitting there, a couple friends from school that were cool kids, at least they thought they were. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, I need to get saved. And I'm, and I'm thinking, what are these guys going to think if I put my hand up or if I walk up front? What are people going to think when they see me do that? And I'm sitting there, and I've got this tug, this draw. You know what the Bible says in John 6, 44? No man cometh unto the Father. Uh, No, no man cometh unto me except uh, unless the Father draw them. I, I misquoted it a little bit, but that's the gist of it. We have to be drawn. I'm sitting there with this irresistible pull. And I'm like, okay, and I put my hand up. And it was almost like it went up on its own. I mean, it didn't. But it was almost like it went up. And when they started saying, if you want to get saved, come forward. And I, and I remember it was, I just couldn't not go. Because so badly, so strongly, I knew what I believed. And regardless of what those guys thought, all that mattered to me was Christ and being right with him. And when I think of leaving father and mother and all that we hold dear, those are the things that I held dear in that moment, was what those kids thought of me. If they were still gonna think I was a cool kid and fit in with the crowd and all that, it got to the point where as I was sitting there and the Holy Spirit was working on my heart that I cared about none of that stuff. All I cared about was what I had to do to know I was right with my Savior. Now, I stayed friends with some of those kids. I still love my parents and you know, all those things are true. But in that moment it didn't matter. What mattered was him. All right. So, now that we are saved, we're laboring in the field of our Jewish kinsman Redeemer. That's what Christ is, our Jewish kinsman redeemer from the city of Bethlehem. And do you know what we're anxiously awaiting? For him to take us out of this harvest field, make us his bride, take us to his home where we will forever live happily ever after with him. Sounds a little bit like Boaz and Ruth. And you know, just uh, to make it that much more beautiful, even though Ruth was a Moabitess woman... (laughs) From a cursed race, the Lord saw fit to put her and Boaz in the line of our Savior Jesus Christ. Right. King David, who you know, we know Christ is referred to as the son of David, he's the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. It's just amazing to me that God saw fit to take this woman and use her in such a profound way and record this story, this account for us, that so beautifully pictures the church. Uh, I think it just, I really do believe it beautifully pictures the church. And maybe we'll do this, like I said, next week or sometime. But then if we take that virtuous woman passage in Proverbs 31 and we study it out, we can actually see some things in that passage that give us a pretty good understanding of what Christ expects from his church. The virtuous woman who Ruth is the only one in the whole Bible that is referred to as a virtuous woman. And over there in Proverbs, it says, if any man find a, does it say a virtuous woman? No, I'm thinking if any man find a wife, you find it the good thing. I'm mixing up stuff now. Uh, so anyways, so pretty amazing story, I think, anyways. You take it for what it is. Take it, leave it, do what you want with it. Prayerfully, it's a, it's a blessing and a help to us. Here's what I find amazing, is the consistency of the word of God. Because this thing called the church is New Testament doctrine. It it was a mystery. It told us that over in Ephesians 5.32. It was a great mystery, as a matter of fact. And yet, God saw fit after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, after Israel rejected their Messiah, to bring about this thing called the church. And just in case anybody says, well, this was God's failsafe," It was never his plan. It's only because of the things that took place. Well, if that's the case, then the book of Ruth is awfully confusing because I think it pictures quite beautifully Christ's plan for the church. So did he offer the kingdom to Israel? Yes. Did he know long before that they were going to reject him? Yes. Did he know long before that this thing called the church was going to exist? Yes, he did. And we have pictures of it in the Old Testament, just to demonstrate to us that God has known throughout all of eternity, not only what was going to happen, but he had a plan for it. And I praise God for his son, Jesus Christ. I praise God for his church. Uh, I praise God for our church. I love our church and the relationships that we have and the friendship that we have and uh, how we can be a blessing to one another. And I know we started in this passage probably a couple months ago now with we need to love our church because Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, we do. And uh, I would consider the book of Ruth a prophetic book that not only points to salvation, but it points to God's plan for the New Testament church. And I don't know about you, but I look forward to the day when we are with him for all of eternity. And we do get to enjoy the blessings of heaven. You know, there is a day coming when that is going to take place. And there's some folks here today with sore bodies from doing stuff that their bodies don't do very often and aren't used to doing. Like living on a ladder and running nail guns over your head and hanging off of trusses and all that fun stuff. Falling off decks. <laughs> Falling off decks. I don't know who did that, but, <laughs> huh, no, all <laughs> right. Uh, you know, so there's a day when all the pain and aches and all that stuff aren't going to, you know, they'll be gone, this old body, we could go over to Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, read about the new body, how we're, it's going to be incorruptible, all that fun stuff that we get to look forward to, but in the meantime, we live here, and we should make the most of it. And clearly, Christ considers his church of utmost importance. He calls it his body. I believe it is his bride. Uh, it is important to him, so we should make our church important to us. So, All right, well, that's what I have for today. We're gonna go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Uh, we'll have a moment of invitation, and we'll fellowship uh, as we head over to lunch. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word, thank you for the blessing that it is to have it, to be able to read it and study it and prayerfully, Uh, Lord, learn much from it. And I pray this morning that uh, we see in the pages of your word the beautiful picture that you've given us to understand marriage, but Lord, marriage pictures Christ and his bride, and his body and Lord if marriage is done right it portrays biblical truth about our Savior and our relationship with him and uh, Lord I just pray that the homes here would do their very best to be biblical so that we can portray to the world what you want us to and that is Uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us. And Lord, we thank you for him. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, for the church and for the blessing that it is to have a church family, to be able to minister together, to be able to worship you together. And Lord, for the love that we have for one another, uh, I just thank you for it. Lord, you are You've truly been good to us, and Father, for that we thank you. Before we close the prayer this morning, if we keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed. Is there anyone here today that would slip up their hand and say, Pastor, I can't say that I've ever trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I've never been born again. I've never uh, received him for myself. I don't know where I'm gonna spend eternity, but I would like to know, I'd like to have it settled. If you're here today and that's you, would you just slip up your hand? All right, Uh, we're gonna go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the salvation that as we read earlier in Romans 5 is a free gift and we know Lord that it has to be because we couldn't afford it if it wasn't there's nothing that we can do Christ's blood had to be shed and only his blood was sufficient to pay for this gift of salvation Thank you that you've made it free to us through faith. And Lord, I pray everyone here has received that free gift. Father, I just pray for the rest of our day. I pray that you'd bless the food to our bodies next door, bless the fellowship, bless the afternoon service. And Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts. Thank you for our church, uh, which is the body and the bride of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful picture of this in your word so that we can understand it. And thank you for the privilege that we have to, uh, through our lives, through our testimony, uh, to point people to Christ. And Lord, we just ask you to bless the rest of our day. We love you. We ask these